Welcome to Overanalyzing, a conversational podcast that explores pop culture, literature, and media. I'm Paige Smith, and this week, we're overanalyzing the sexy, heartbreaking TV adaptation of Sally Rooney's novel, Normal People. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to Overanalyzing. It's been a little while since uh, we have done an episode, but I'm here this week with a special guest, my good friend, Ariana (laughs) Diaz. Ariana, welcome to the pod. Hi, thanks for having me. This is so exciting, and I feel so very special for being on the show. I'm so happy to have you on to talk about normal people because you are one of the few people in my close circle who had as much enthusiasm for this show as I did. And <laughs> to say the least. I to was say the least. On the edge of my seat. So had you have you heard about it before I texted you? You know what's funny is I had seen like Instagram ads for the show or maybe like a trailer here and there and I thought, oh God, that looks like an emotional journey. I don't know if I'm prepared for it. And then <laughs> When I got that text from you, I was like, okay, if Paige is recommending that I need to watch this, it's serious. So I was like, game face, time to go, sat down on the couch with a glass of wine and a bottle ready to be opened and just breezed through it in literally a day and came out the other side and was like, reborn. I had to text you immediately and be like, Paige, (laughs) please, we need to talk about this. (laughs) So many emotions. Oh, I'm so glad you felt similarly. It was... Truly the escape I needed during this quarantine time. Like it was oh yeah. Just so dreamy, right? Oh my god. I mean, it literally takes you through this journey of love and heartbreak and everything in between and happiness and depression and I mean, the ups and downs were so real, but I feel like they did such a great job presenting this story in a beautiful way that felt realistic and genuine. You know, so Mm. often love stories can be masked with butterflies and rainbows and it seems unrealistic, but I felt like this one truly spoke to me. I mean, spoke to us on such Mm -hmm. a deep level. It was pretty profound. Yeah. Um, And do you think that that was because, because like you said, it was so real and it felt authentic and didn't feel maybe glossed over with yeah, like you said, sunshine and rainbows and that type of thing. A lot of people are are calling this a love story or a romance, but then I think it's also fair to say that it's not romantic. And you yeah. know what I mean? It is yeah. it's not we don't really have the typical markers of romance in this story at all. So then it makes me think, why did I like it and why did I feel so swept up in this story of love that was also filled with a lot of pain and heartache Mm -hmm. and arguably not nice moments, you know? No, definitely. I mean, I feel like this wasn't so much of a love story as it was like a study of love. It felt like we were observing this case study, so to speak, of the trials and tribulations of young love turning into mature love and how it changes people. And I think Mm -hmm. just that fundamentally speaks to so many, right? I mean, we've all experienced first love, I hope, in some way, shape or form. And 
whether it was a good experience or maybe a bad experience, it's kind of just the journey of life. And to be able to witness this so raw and unfiltered through this TV show has definitely triggered some things. I don't know if you felt that way too. Like it, for me, it kind of hit below the belt a lot of times because it made me mm. think about, you know, high school times and college times and maybe the way that your first love or second love was. And mm-hmm. you can see maybe how you were wrong in some ways or you were right in some ways or you didn't deserve the treatment that you were given or vice versa. It was just a lot of – it caused me to do a lot of self-reflection, which I wasn't prepared for. Mm. <laughs> but I think it was really lovely to do that and just sit with your memories and kind of walk through your past and and also made me appreciate the love that I have today even more, which was, I think, the best takeaway for me. Oh, but- I love that. I, I, that <laughs> I love that journey for you and I definitely relate. I think what you said about – making how the show prompted you to sift through your own memories. It also feels like we're watching a series of Connell and Marianne's memories. You know, the way that the show is shot and sometimes the scenes have these long, intense moments of dialogue. And, but when you kind of look back at it, the dialogue isn't so heavy as is the pauses between the dialogue and the mm-hmm. way the scenes kind of blur into one another and just jump ahead in time, it really does make it feel like memories and you're just reflecting back. Oh, for sure. It was like small vignettes of their past and you were mm-hmm. just kind of on a, a runway through their history. And the fact that it was – I think it was so intense for me because it was jam-packed with emotion. I mean, in one episode, you have – them getting together and breaking up maybe two or three times. Like, it's just the the tension is so real and palpable. And I think you're exactly right. Like, and from your experience in reading the book, I'm sure you were looking for those moments that didn't have dialogue, but were so crucial to the story. And I really Mm -hmm. do think the two actors did an incredible job of, like, capturing that unspoken tension and feeling just drawn through facial expressions or little cringes or eye flicker like it was it was so intentional in everything that they did which really just brought the story to a whole nother level but I agree yeah the fact that it wasn't it wasn't like a typical movie where you know you kind of it's this long drawn out thing and then at the end you wait for them to get together or how or it leads up to the big sex scene or, or something like that you know this was this was so constant and almost overwhelming and how often you were emotionally wound up and released and all over again. The cycle was just exhausting, but I loved every second of it. And I'm sure <laughs> I would do it again in a heartbeat. Oh, that's how I felt too. I actually started rewatching the show the day after I finished it because I think I was looking for that emotional ride again of being swept up in that tension and I felt nervous a lot of the time watching the show. I was on the edge of my seat kind of even though I knew the story and had read the book, there was still something about the actors chemistry together and I think it's interesting to me because what some people could perceive as emotionally manipulative mm-hmm. in terms of the music and the, the really up-close shots of each actor's face 
And they think they use that to kind of convey, you know, uh, to replace the internal monologue they might have in the book. Right. And so I think that could be seen as as sort of worthy of eye rolls. You know what I mean? Like, ugh, mm-hmm. these long, drawn-out glances, these stares at each other, these meaningful looks across a room, you know, this this dialogue that doesn't say much but somehow says everything. Yeah. And yet I was – I ate it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. How could you – it's so hard not to because you're so locked into their perspective. I think, you know – Guys, spoiler alert, I'm a huge overanalyzing fan, so I've listened to most every (laughs) podcast. (laughs) But I think going back to kind of your story with Cole when you guys were talking about you, it's you're so trapped into their perspective that it's no fault of your own that you're swept up, you know? It's hard Mm. to step out and see the other character's perspective or to really invest in their stories because – it's so intimately and intensely focused on Marianne and Connell the entire time. You just, it's like you never blink because there's so much happening and you don't want to miss a single glance or a single sigh. Like those things amount to so much and communicate so much where words Mm. may not do it justice. Mm, Yeah, I completely agree. And I really enjoyed that the book alternates, in each chapter it alternates between Marianne's and Connell's points of view Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, I and it and it really does focus only on those two. So I think the the show was pretty true to the source material and the way they conveyed the two main characters. Yeah. The show only had eyes for them. You know, we really didn't get a look into any of the other characters. And I think you could argue that those characters are a bit flat and one-dimensional mm-hmm. because we really don't get to know them beyond the the sort of role they provide or kind of as a plot device to move things forward, whether it's the relationship with Jamie or the, right. the Swedish guy, but you know, yeah, or it's someone mostly intentional, I would assume. Right. And but I I loved that. Like I yeah. and I think I don't know if that just says, you know, more about my interest when watching something that I'm I'm forever mesmerized by the dynamic between two people who are romantically involved mm-hmm. that I didn't care. I was like, I don't care if all of these other characters have one quip, one line. They were kind of background noise yeah, in a way yes. and just served to to circumstantially unite Marion and Connell, which I was fine with. And I think part of what you and I are talking about in terms of the tension they have together is – their insane chemistry. I yeah. mean, these, it's undeniable. Uh, let me tell you. It is <laughs> we, like I had butterflies the entire time watching it. I got aroused when they got oh, aroused. I mean, I, hell I yeah. <laughs> without doubt, it was I, too much for me. But to I handle. think that was part of it. That was part of why we were so wrapped into it because, like, when you tap into those emotions so frequently throughout a 30-minute segment of television, I mean, it's hard not to just be mesmerized by the characters and by the show. And not to mention, you're just – you have a massive boner 24-7 watching this. <laughs> like, you're just in constant awe of, like, the sex scenes. And truthfully, yeah. that's – I think, you know – it's not – they've done it in such a way that it's not vulgar or graphic. It's not like you're overstimulated by the amount of sex. I think it's more so 
like sex in itself is its own character in the show. Like the sex between them is the third protagonist, I think. And Mm. it's so interesting to see how sex is portrayed. I thought I was really pleased with how they did that. I mean, of course, it's still movie sex. It's still TV sex. It's still sensational and may not always be realistic. But I, for the context of the show, I thought it was just lovely. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I I fully agree with you. I didn't think it was gratuitous. I thought there was a really a really lovely plainness to the nudity mm-hmm. and I read an interview with the director of Intimacy who on the set. Yes, on Vanity Fair. Yes, and it was so fascinating. They they were clearly really intentional with how they did everything and really strove to make the actors feel safe and protected on set, which is amazing. But then beyond that, they also discussed that, okay, we want this nudity to to be presented in a real light where so often in in TV shows and and films, you know, a woman has her bra on during sex, which is so unrealistic. Right. And then, you know, they're covered up with sheets, which Mm -hmm. when you're when you're intimate with someone in your own space, you're not self-conscious, you know? There was right. a real, like, natural quality to the to the nudity and an unselfconsciousness that I really liked, and it made me feel in their space. Like, we were, we were observing something that almost we shouldn't have been observing, you know what I mean? Versus- Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, I, I think it's cool to think about how the sex scenes were done and the, and the chemistry between the characters, because- when you were saying, you know, we were we were as wrapped up in it the entire time as they were, it's almost like they did that intentionally to put the audience kind of in the perspective of Connell or Marianne who have this immense attraction to each other and their attraction tends to influence a lot of their behavior and the things that they do, which as an audience member, maybe we overlook certain things that are wrong with right. the story or the show because we are also <laughs> being yeah. led by our attraction to these characters. And I want to talk about sex a little bit more. So it's interesting because I I had read the book last year and then this morning I read um, – I read a, a, probably a third of it, like 100 pages or so and just wanted to be back in the story. And mm-hmm. they don't talk about – they don't explain – the sex scenes. They don't describe them. Like, I found it really interesting. Yeah, I want to read you this one part. That's fascinating. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. Like, okay. I see. I expected it to be like a Fifty Shades of Grey type of descriptive sex scene without, you know, the BDSM. But I thought just how they portrayed it on the TV show, I would think for sure the writer had a great time describing you know, how they made love to each other. No, it's very – first of all, Sally Rooney's writing in general is very spare. She mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot of descriptors. It's very short, precise sentences. But so this is when uh, – I think it's in episode five or six when they go to a party together. And this is after Marianne has broken up with Gareth. And mm-hmm. then the next morning, Connell goes to her house – and they have sex. And so this is how it's described in the book. Um, it says, 
She stands at his chair and, looking up at her, he undoes the sash of her bathrobe. It's been nearly a year. He touches his lips to her skin, and she feels holy, like a shrine. Come to bed then, she says. He goes with her. Afterward, she switches on the hairdryer. It just goes straight into afterward. There's not even... There's nothing. And the first time that they have sex, which in the show is like an 11-minute sex scene. Right. In the book, again, that's not really described either. It just kind of alludes to it and then says how they felt in the in the post-quotal moments. But so I'm curious, right. like, why do you think that they would have decided then in the show to, like you said, really use sex to fuel and propel their relationship and kind of have it as this third element in the show? That's so interesting. I mean, so you guys know Paige read the book and I have not read the book. I've just watched the show. So my perspective, I think your perspective, Paige, is much more in-depth because you know verbatim what the author intended and then you saw the adaptation of it. But to know that those sex scenes weren't described as they were portrayed on TV makes me think, one of two things. One, either it's just Hollywood and it's wanting to be, you know, sensationalized to get viewership or to entice people to watch it, right? Right. Or two, I think they used those sex scenes and they were so drawn out and so intimate and there was so much focus on them because of the fact that they had to cram in an emotional and intimate relationship without all of the the description behind it. So it's not like you could have, you know, a choir like in a Shakespearean play move along the story and say this is how they felt and this is what they thought. But right. I think it was yeah, sex in the show served as the substitute for all of the emotional context you got from reading the book. I think it mm-hmm. you can only describe so much through looks and glances and and little subtle details like that through acting, but that sex is what kind of creates their bond and is such a crucial part of their relationship, at least in the show, that I think, you know, it may have been sensationalized for the sake of TV, but I also think it was important to see how they interacted in those vulnerable moments and how they communicated through sex, because obviously, as we know, their communication outside of sex was pretty terrible for the most part. Right, Um, right. So I found it interesting that the only time that they were actually able to directly communicate and successfully communicate was when they were in their most vulnerable states of having sex Mm. or being naked in front of each other or touching each other. You know, it was – I found that so interesting. But it also speaks to the strengths of their relationship. Mm. But I'm interested to hear your perspective of that, of the sex scenes between reading the book and watching the show because – I wonder if you got the same sense of connection to them in both mediums. You know, did you feel any differently towards the couple when you were reading versus when you were watching the show? No, I don't think so. I felt equally wrapped up in the book as I did the show. It's hard for me to tap into all of those emotions because I read it last year and then obviously rereading it right now, I have the show in my mind as I'm doing that. Right. But I felt equally connected to them in 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 each medium, and then, but it's it's strange how the 
I almost am surprised by how quickly I went through the book now thinking back on it because there is something Sally Rooney's able to do with the writing that plays with this tension that they have, but yet doesn't go into the sex as much as the show does. And so it's still effective clearly in some way, but mm-hmm. just really different ways. And I think they talk – they use – the writing in the book talks about sex in retrospect a lot. So it's a lot of like, in the moment it says, you know, he kisses her, they fall in bed together. And then it moves on to the next scene. But mm-hmm. then they'll go back, a character will, will kind of go back in their memory and be like, when we were lying together, I felt this way and I couldn't stop thinking about him or her in this aspect. And and we see it with other how they have sex with other people too, which is contrasted with how they are together. But, you know, Connell says a lot of stuff in the beginning about how he when he has sex with other people, he feels nauseated. Mm, and wow. he actually threw up after having sex with one uh girl in high school. And it, it, so there's these descriptors of him feeling physically like ill at ease while mm-hmm. he's being intimate with someone, which I think is really interesting. So I think the way she describes this stuff, you can kind of fill in the gaps and your imagination can go there. You don't need a sentence by sentence, you know, description of how they were in bed together. You can, she gives you enough context for you to fill it in. But obviously with a show, I mean, I guess it's interesting because a lot of sex scenes in movies and TV rely on you to use your imagination as well you know they show Mm -hmm. a flash of skin here a flash of skin there someone's face breathing heavily up close but they don't tend to show everything full-on like they did in this show and I felt like it was really romantic lovemaking to watch and I liked your assessment of how they use sex to to kind of test each other's boundaries and affections and maybe even the power dynamics and exercise control over each other but then they're able to have this incredible vulnerability and I think they both say it at numerous points in the show and in the book they say it's not like this with other people right and they really say that when you know immediately after they've had sex or Mm -hmm. when they're in the throes of it or something and so Clearly, there is a level to which they're able to be completely themselves together. Like, I want to find this quote from the book. Um, no, I think you're exactly spot on, though. It's it's such a crucial way to communicate their relationship through sex, I think, because that's how they first connect. And that's the, the constant theme between them. As their emotional sides develop, They they always find themselves back in kind of this comfort zone of just raw attraction and just being magnetically attracted to each other. Right, exactly. And I want to know, what did you think about their their individual characterization and then how that played into their dynamic as a couple? Because – Mm, you know, yeah. we we talk about how real this felt to us, but I want to kind of break it down because, like, do you see from the show perspective how they would be 
attracted to one another because what what I thought was really interesting about the and and maybe frustrating to a lot of viewers it was frustrating to me but only in retrospect was that in the book Marianne is described as being one of the ugliest girls in school mm-hmm. and she is quite literally described as an object of disgust and wow. we they talk about her shoes a lot which has nothing to do with someone's physical appearance obviously <laughs> but they talk about that she wears thick ugly flat-soled shoes and um that you know her nose was a little runny the first time she goes to have sex she doesn't shave her legs uh until mm-hmm. she does for the first time but she's known for having like hairy legs in school flat chest but otherwise nothing I mean, it's strange how she is written about as this object of disgust, but then... She's gorgeous in the show. (laughs) She's gorgeous in the show, and obviously she is – she's actually an attractive character because in the book we see see Connell say to her um, later when they're at uni together, he says, you look beautiful the first time he sees her after a while, and she said – she says – I she suspected that herself, but she could never say it. So it's like she suspected oh, she wow. was beautiful, but people had just told her she wasn't and treated her like an object of disgust to the point where she felt so unlovable. And then obviously that's compounded by the family dynamics at play yeah. with you her know, father, her father, the abuse with her father, her brother. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, what did you think about? about that knowing that she's she's portrayed this certain way and do you think that showed up in the show? No, I mean it's so interesting because you, I sat there watching the show almost wanting to like throw my glass of wine at the TV and be like stop being so self-deprecating, you're gorgeous inside and out. Like it's almost as if it was she was masochistic and that she wanted to punish herself for being ugly or for being undesirable and I think that is so deeply rooted in her past and, you know, the relationship with her abusive father and the mother and now the brother who is incredibly abusive towards her emotionally and then eventually physically. I think it makes sense, but you also – it's hard to grapple the fact that she was described so differently in the book versus the actor that played her on the television show. And, you know, we talked about – I don't know if this is Hollywood kind of whitewashing over the fact that they wanted to just have beautiful people having sex on television every other minute. But <laughs> I think it was also just interesting because you're. it's nice to see that, you know, Connell sees her in this light and you can see her through Connell's eyes, I think, because of the way that she's represented on the show, um, which I also get the sense that you get from the book. You know, it's right. it's hard to describe that attraction with so many words. So I think just the phys- the physicality of their relationship really communicated how Connell felt about her and how he was – he couldn't help himself. She couldn't help herself. But to just throw themselves at each other at every whim and every chance that they had. Right. Um, and it but kind I, of – oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead. I was going to say that's that's interesting. I like your point there because I think that is true. It almost magnifies – the absurdity with about Connell's insecurity when you're watching mm-hmm. the show because you're like, how can you be so 
worried about what people will think for dating this objectively very attractive young woman. Right. It feels so absurd to me. And I think some of the some of the taunting from Connell's friends to Marianne just felt it just didn't feel super realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Like really these these guys would be like, oh you're disgusting and you flat chested it just it made me angry because I was like, this doesn't seem Right. And the fact that Connell was so embarrassed he couldn't even stick up for her in that moment in the hallway. It just oh, was like, wait, are we are we watching the same thing? Which maybe that is was a way to sort of play with the audience and and show how apparent it was that that Connell's insecurity was totally unnecessary. And then maybe as a way showing that in high school all of that those insecurities really are fueled by just your perspective and a perception right. that isn't even based in reality. And I think as a third-party observer of that, you can really see that where you're just like, wow, God, you are you are limiting your own happiness so much by being so wrapped up in Yeah, and other this, people's opinions. Yes, and other people's opinions that aren't even true. They're just words right. that have been – you know, perpetuated for years that have no real substance. But because mm-hmm. Marianne is a person who herself has had trauma and is deeply pained and insecure, she receives that. She receives yeah. that criticism in a way that maybe someone else, it would bounce off of them and go back to the person who insulted them and, and they would realize how crazy it was. But when she has an energy about her that suggest that she knows what they're saying is true, mm-hmm. then it makes it it makes it just continue that much more intensely. But I wanted to read you this this quote really quick from the book because I thought it was really powerful about Marianne's family. Um, so Denise is Marianne's mom's name. And she says, Denise decided a long time ago that it's acceptable for men to use aggression toward Marianne as a way of expressing themselves. As a child, she resisted, but now she simply detaches, as if it Mm. isn't of any interest to her, which in a way it isn't. Denise considers this a symptom of her daughter's frigid and unlovable personality. She believes Marianne lacks warmth, by which she means the ability to beg for love from people who hate her. Oh my god, that's heartbreaking. Right? And that kind of sums it up. And I don't know if Marianne was able to – she didn't really say that in the show in any – I mean, she danced around it or she alluded to it and she kind of said, I don't know why my brother would treat me this way or whatever. But I think that to me really just sums up the situation is that Marianne – she doesn't have the ability to beg for love from people who hate her, but she is willing to put herself on the line for someone like Connell, who she senses right. has a stronger feeling toward her. And I think, you know, it's so interesting because she keeps saying in the show, and she repeats it often, it's, I'm frigid, or I'm unlovable, or I'm cold, and... It's so funny to hear that come out of her mouth because she is so not that with Connell. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. that's probably Mm -hmm. the reason that she is so drawn to him is because she feels loved. She feels warmth from him. 
even though at times she second guesses it and doubts it and doesn't kind of read between the lines. And we all know Connell's not great at communicating either. And he has some commitment issues there. But it was interesting to to see her reflect on that and be so open about it. Because I think that's the opposite of being frigid. I think when she's kind of claiming her faults as her own, how much more vulnerable can you get? And I I think she's Mm. just an incredibly vulnerable person, but she has this spiky exterior because of her past and because she wants to protect herself from the treatment that she gets from her brother or her mother or the mean kids at school. Um, Mm. It's just fascinating. But I... I do think that Connell and Marianne have such a unique dynamic because each of them has something that the other one either lacks or craves. Mm. And it's it's like a constant give and take between the two of them and their energy and their interactions. It's like you're almost just wanting to yell at them and be like, just say what you mean. But they're so oh, yes. just kind of caught up in their own heads. And I also think it was a huge lesson in – treating people and how that affects them for the rest of their life. I mean, the way that Connell treated Marianne in high school had the longest lasting effect on her. And, you know, it it ended up that she didn't return to school because of it, because she was so humiliated by him and what he did to her. And I thought that was just the most heartbreaking thing, because I think it's Connell's mom that said Marianne is so fragile. And it's true. She's She's so delicate and you have to handle her with care. And I think Connell did an exceptional job of handling her with care when they were in the comfort of their private times and private moments. But in public, you just want to literally hit him in the face when he doesn't stand up for her or when he doesn't punch the guy who just groped Marianne at the club. Like it's things like that that just break your heart because you think if this is true love and if you really care for her, you wouldn't accept this treatment. And eventually he comes around to it, right? And eventually he learns from his mistakes. But it's watching the process of him learning is really hard to digest, especially knowing Marianne's past. It's so hard. And I think that was one of the most frustrating things to me watching the show was their lack of communication. Mm -hmm. I And and I'm curious if you – what your perspective on was that – if – what your perspective was on that if you thought that was an accurate portrayal of young love when you do have some insecurity and you haven't worked on establishing healthy communication and mm-hmm. you maybe aren't comfortable with yourself totally so you project some of your own insecurities onto the other person. I do think part of that is realistic but at the same time yeah. I was like, is it really this possible for people to – for two people to – have a breakup that was oh, completely over un- nothing <laughs> over nothing it was completely unnecessary there were barely yeah. any words said and i think i guess it does just really cement both of their deep insecurities because yeah when when they break up at the end of the the first year i think they show us the scene from two different perspectives and they show us mm-hmm. Connell's perspective from her first where he says, I guess you'll want to see other people. And she says, yeah, I guess so. And then her perspective, he says something like, I don't know. I, I want, do you want to see other, surely you want to see other people. And I don't know. The words are just, they get, each person hears, they are hearing what their insecurity is. They're not hearing what the person is actually saying. They're not reading between the lines. And I thought that was that was just so annoying to me because 
I was like, really, you wouldn't like push back for even two more sentences and be like, wait, what do you mean? Or yeah, what are was- you? What are you saying here? Like, it was just like, okay, pick up my keys and walk out. That was super frustrating. I mean, that to me felt like the most unrealistic moment in the entire series was when they literally broke up over two sentences. Like, it's hard for me to imagine that after all of that trial and tribulation, after coming back together, you you would easily just leave because of kind of a a protected jab, you know, like they were both trying to protect themselves. And it just led to this snowball effect of passive aggressiveness and and then just complete breakdowns after like you wouldn't follow up with a phone call or feel like there was unresolved you know issues to discuss that to me felt super unrealistic to be able to just completely drop them out of your life for what seemed like maybe at least six months after that is when they connected again to just be done i that's just i can't imagine that that's real I would be freaking out. I would be like, um, I need to call you. I need to talk to you. What's happening? You know? Completely. And it's – I don't know. I mean, I read so, so many reviews on Goodreads for this book and stuff where people were either on one side of the spectrum or the other saying they felt that was unrealistic or some people said, I can't believe – the reality of my own young love story was portrayed so accurately in this book. Like I had such a difficult time communicating with this significant other and it felt like we were, you know, putting a microscope over the tiniest words and gestures Mm -hmm. and expressions. And I think that is what is happening here. But – and maybe that's just a reflection of how young these characters are. Like when they do have that breakup – they're presumably, what, 19 years old? Yeah, 20 so, maybe. Yeah, so they are really young and they have a lot of emotional maturing to do. That's clear. But it was really tough to watch. And- but you know what's so funny is that you think about that situation of lack of communication. And then I think back to the first time they had sex. It was the complete opposite of lack of communication. It was... The most eloquent, I think, interaction of making love for the first time with someone. And Connell was asking if she was okay, that, you know, they were openly talking about consent. The way that they undressed each other was was amazing, respectful. And it felt like it was each word that they said was an accomplishment. It wasn't like embarrassing. It was so full of intent. I just thought, what a lovely way to depict, you know, the first time that you have sex or the first time they had sex together. That's like the most ideal version of it, right? Where you're both equally on the same page. You you know what the other one wants. You're willing to talk about it, to be vulnerable. And then they go and break up over two sentences. I'm like, how does that equate? How can you be so loving and yes. communicative and then just completely abandon each other? It's like they need to take their clothes off in order to properly communicate because something about the stripping down makes them both feel safer. I I wanted to read you this quote from the book as well. Um, Mm -hmm. He says, Connell says, when he talks to Marianne, he has a sense of total privacy between them. He could tell her anything about himself, even weird things, and she would never repeat them. He knows that. Being alone mm. with her is like opening a door away from normal life and then closing it behind him. Wow. So he obviously – there's this 
beautiful sense of privacy and complete vulnerability that happens when the two of them are alone. Yeah. And I think this is primarily a story, I think, about people getting in their own heads. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, I agree. <sighs> it's all about how the treatment of each other and maybe their perception of themselves just gets in the way of their relationship. And I think, you know, when you talk about their power dynamic, it's so interesting to see how that shifts throughout their time together. Because yes. it's not like a, a typical, stereotypical story where the hot, popular, rich boy, um, you know, is the one that is admired. It's Marianne's the wealthy, rich girl, but she's disregarded in school. No one likes her. Meanwhile, Connell is the poor guy, but he's super attractive and athletic and and everyone loves him. And I think that isn't even addressed until after they break up in high school. I found that so interesting that they never Mm -hmm. talk about the fact that Connell's mom works for Marianne's family and how that might influence some of the interactions between them and it's only recognized when they're back in college and they get back together and i think marianne says you know why is it the first why is this the first time that we're talking about this like do you Mm -hmm. resent me for it or it's just it's fascinating that they are always kind of in this push and pull struggle of who has the upper hand who's the one in charge and i think it starts with connell and then it shifts to marianne and it goes back and forth but i i agree and i think Probably why it takes them so long to discuss the fact that Marion's mom employs Connell's mom is finally when they're in the setting of Dublin, where there are presumably people from higher socioeconomic classes, Mm -hmm. and the class dynamics are that much more apparent. It feels a little bit more elitist and pretentious to Connell. Yeah. And he's acutely aware of how much he's outside of that zone and how much Marianne fits into it. And so maybe it's that background that prompts him to talk about it and be more aware of it, whereas it wasn't Mm -hmm. something that really mattered in, I don't know how you pronounce this town name, Caraclea? Caraclea? I don't Mm, know. Right. Um, But I I do think the power dynamic is so interesting because right from the start, it's clear Connell has the upper hand. He's the one who – who kisses her. He's the one who invites her over to his house. He says it would be difficult, if anything, if people in school were to find out about us. And she says a couple different times, she says, you know, I would do anything for you. Yeah. Or I think when they have the 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 con- conversation about the threesome, she says, I would have done it if you had wanted to. And he says, well, would you have wanted to? And she goes, no, but I would have done it for you. And he becomes really uneasy with that and it was physically he kind of pulls back and is sort of frustrated with her and Mm -hmm. to me I thought that was that was him in those moments I thought her submissiveness is a reminder to him of how he took advantage of her in high school and I think he felt such intense shame and guilt over that that anytime she would remind him of that inherent power imbalance of of I'll I'll literally lay down and die for you right here. Right. And you could do anything you wanted to me. He's like, no, I don't want to have that power because I know what I was capable of doing with it. And it wasn't right. good. 
I mean, it's, it's so true. And then I think it shifts once they're in college and, you know, he's just like pining after her and she has these other boyfriends and whatnot. But to see how, how they love to kind of exchange who has the upper hand in those moments is Mm -hmm. really fascinating. I mean, Connell goes through his own, you know, depression and financial struggles and he the only source of joy or support that he gets is from Marianne and I think Mm. he takes for granted her willingness to just do anything for him and then once he realizes that he's taking that for granted he like you said he just is overcome with guilt and shame and that Mm -hmm. doesn't help the situation at all because I think he freezes and he kind of retreats into this space of his own corners of his mind and he doesn't want to get out because he knows that he has to kind of face the music at that point and it's not a good show but yeah it's it's really fascinating because i don't know they're you're just so frustrated by the lack of communication and i think it's just a tale that the way you treat other people will forever impact them and it forever Mm -hmm. changes them and so you have to be so cognizant of that you really can't right yeah and it changes you too, right? We see yeah. how how Connell does, like you said, retreat within himself in those college years. And I think in a way that's why he's not very forthright about his feelings with Marianne when she does get into other relationships because mm-hmm. I think he feels this sense of of guilt like he he owes it to her not to screw with her life anymore and right. that if – if anything is going to happen between them, it's going to be on her terms because he fucked it up in the past. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because Marianne takes his passiveness as a sign of – Disinterest. Yes, yes, as yeah. a sign of disinterest, apathy, whatever. And it, I don't know. It's it, – um, Connell is feeling like the power is in her hands in the college years, but I think she's very much still feeling like – the power's up to him. I think when yeah. they have that conversation uh, about Jamie when she starts dating that mm-hmm. friend of hers, and he oh, says he's, awful. he's the fucking worst. <laughs> he's such and a dick. he's the he's terrible. Um, and she says something like, "Okay, Connell, you know he. If anyone's going to be intimidated, it's going to be Jamie being intimidated by you. You know, you're, right. you're tall. You're the guy I used to sleep with." He's got nothing on you. So it's like she's she literally tells him, like, you are above this man I'm currently seeing. And mm. in a way, sort of, she's implying that, like, and she does say it, like, it was different with you. I could be myself with you. And yet, nothing happens. <laughs> right. Um, I want to talk about uh mental health and how they both go through their own kind of mental health crises in the book where Connell suffers from depression after, uh, you know, finding out that um, one of his friends from high school completed suicide. And then, Mm -hmm. and then Marianne really kind of detaches from herself and distances herself from other people in her life when she's, when she studies in Sweden for that mm-hmm. year. And so, I don't know. Did you think that that was an accurate look into 
college life and sometimes uh, like the ups and downs that you can have? Yeah, and I don't even know if it's so much college life, but just the struggle of maintaining your mental health in any environment. You know, I think when Connell kind of falls into that deep depression after his friend passes, it almost it's almost as if Marianne and Connell are emotionally tied and, you know, neither can be happy if the other isn't also happy. Mm. And I felt like Marianne retreated so far away from everyone that she knew when she was in Sweden with that guy. And I feel like her masochism and it became heightened because she felt almost like she deserved this type of love and this type of treatment. She didn't want to feel warm and fuzzy. She wanted to feel, you know, almost that abuse, Mm. but in a safe space because as you recall, she broke up, she wanted to break up with her boyfriend because he was having feelings for her. And she said, I want the opposite of whatever a relationship is. And so that turned into this dynamic between the two of them where he exerted control over her because that's what he thought she wanted. And I think to some extent that is what she wanted because she was almost punishing herself for whatever perception she had of her, uh, of Mm. being cold, of being frigid, of being undeserving of love. Um, And that was really hard to watch. I mean, that Mm. one scene where, you know, she's, he's taking her photo and it's more of like a nude exhibit of her and her being tied up and she starts breaking down and saying no, that she doesn't want this anymore. I mean, that was, that was really hard to sit through and to see her come to terms with the fact that she's realizing this isn't what she wants anymore. This isn't who she is. And it's kind of just sucking away any happiness that she had. It's really depleting her entirely. So it, it was just an interesting scene to see her break down in that way. And to, I think, come to terms with the fact that this life isn't what she wants. This treatment isn't what she deserves anymore. And it was almost just complete apathy at that point. She was so drained from this kind of self-inflicted abuse from her boyfriend. And it may not be abuse, that's a strong word, but more so just kind of the the control that she wanted him to have over her. You know, mm-hmm. that was yeah. that was hard to watch and to, hard to see her break down like that. Um, knowing that all she really wanted was connection and most likely just to reconnect with Connell. And I think as soon as they started reconnecting, you see that warmth come back into Marianne and you see Connell start to kind of peek out of this deep, dark depression that he was in. And it's like, I really do think they're, they are home for each other. They are, Mm. they're each other's safe space. And yeah, it's... It's just all you want is for them to be together and to like put the bullshit away. But so much easier said than done for these two. Completely. I think maybe that's to do with the fact that it kind of goes back to our chat about first loves and how they impact you and stay with you forever. And the fact that Marianne attaches so much of her her worth to Connell's opinion of her. There's a really uh, interesting quote from the beginning of the book that says, um, when Connell tells her he loves her, she says she never believed herself fit to be loved by any person, but now Mm -hmm. she has a new life of which this is the first moment. 
and even after many years have passed, she will still think, yes, that was it, the beginning of my life. So it's like she is – she quite literally is attributing the start of this life for herself to Connell and to how he's made her feel. And I think when she's stripped away from from that feeling from him, yeah, she goes into this kind of dark place where I think she's probably – I don't know. She's thinking, okay – I'm not capable of being loved by this person. I want to love me in the way that I want that maybe I am unlovable. And so I'm just going to embrace that idea. And like you said, kind of punish herself for it. And it's, I think it's interesting that they chose, they made her character be a willing participant to Mm -hmm. the kind of like um, Dom sub relationship in Sweden And in the book, it's really ambiguous. Like, you don't know if she consented to it or if it was just something that happened and she went along with it. There was no explicit discussion of, hey, I want you to do this to me. Um, But what – so do you think that – to me, I'm – it's almost like in rethinking about the show, there's kind of a lot of codependency. Like – Oh, yeah. It feels like, okay, Marianne – has a really difficult time being truly happy unless she feels validated by Connell and he can't really grow on his own without her. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it speaks to their emotional connection. You know, I think they have such a strong, they can relate on so many different levels that they really feel like they're the only ones that get each other. And I remember Connell saying in the show um, during his time in college, he said something to the effect of, I have, I, I feel like I keep trying on a thousand different versions of myself and none of them fit. Mm. And it feels like he's only ever himself or he can ever, he can only ever know himself when he's with Marianne. Um, and you see his struggle of kind of self-confidence and knowing what he wants, especially in their earlier scenes when, you know, Marianne asks, well, what do you want? And he says, I don't know. I, I don't really know half the time. I just I just kind of am here and I just exist. And on the opposite spectrum, Marianne is very headstrong, has her opinions and sticks to them. And so I think he craves that from her and he craves her stance in life, which I, he hasn't taken yet. And you see him start to develop that arm more throughout his character journey and at the end, he makes a decision that's really difficult. And it doesn't end in necessarily a happy ending. It's not necessarily sad, but it's just, I think, a reflection of him coming to terms with who he is and what he wants. Mm. You know, and, and that's, I think, part of the beauty of their relationship is that they help each other grow. As much as they tear each other down, they also really do help each other grow. And they they are codependent in a lot of ways, but I think their final moment, you know, at the very end, they come to terms with the fact that they don't need each other anymore, that they've made, they've helped each other grow to this point, And now this point means they can live their lives independently. Um, and that's really powerful because you want nothing more but for them to be happy and together. But it is also something to be said of being happy and being apart. Right. Yeah, that final that final chapter was was so gratifying to see them get together finally and achieve mm-hmm. a sense of peace and maybe a sense of normalcy for the first time 
in their lives. And then it was such a heartbreaking scene at the end to watch them make the decision to be separate from each other because what what did you make of that? Because I was really sad again and kind of frustrated by the fact that they weren't even willing to to try explore yeah explore yeah. the territory even theoretically about of Marianne moving to New York with Connell that wasn't even an option and I guess that does go back to her being really resolute in what she wants mm-hmm. and knowing that and she knew I want to be here and yet I'm I'm always going to you know she proves at every step that she almost cares about Connell's happiness more than her own but I think this right. was kind of a resolution where we saw her saying, I want you to be happy, and his happiness would inv- ultimately, ideally, involve her coming to New York because he does manage to say, would you come with me? But I yeah. think her turning him down was probably the best we could hope for in terms of her growing up as a character and realizing, like, I'm not going to do anything for you, actually. I know I said that early on in in our relationship together, but she gets to a point where she realizes – no, this is what I need to do for me and mm-hmm. I still want to see you thrive. And the fact that he could go out on his own into the world without her and feel finally maybe confident enough and buoyed up enough to do that is also indicative of his growth. Absolutely. And it's so hard, you know, it's it's so beautifully tragic, but I think that's where they needed to end up. And my theory is that Connell went to New York and then COVID happened. He came back to Ireland. <laughs> and they are now quarantining together and madly in love oh. again. <laughs> That's the and only way I can all have of the delicious sex. All of it. Oh. I mean, even though we don't get to see it, I'm sure it's riveting. But, you know, I, I think you make your own you make your own kind of ending there because it is open ended. You don't know if they get back together, how that works. But I think the moral of the story is that they've come to a point where they don't need each other anymore. And it's now right. a voluntary decision to keep in touch. It's not a necessity where you feel like it's a necessity for their for their l- mental state and for their happiness to stay together. And they finally come to a point where they're happy with themselves. And that's mm. just such a beautiful thing. It's, you know, it gives me goosebumps to think of such a journey like that and mm. to grow up in such a way and to have such fond memories towards someone who truly impacted your life, whether for the for the good or bad of it. it it's It's just powerful in so many ways. And yeah, it was hard to watch, but I also felt a sense of happiness. You know, I felt like this is good for them. This is what I want for both of them is to be happy in their own right. Right. Yeah, I I agree. It was very bittersweet. And I liked that it ended in this place of happiness, knowing that we've seen them grow as characters and learn a lot. And then I think it was a pretty beautiful portrayal of how, you know, successful relationships aren't always ones that last forever. And I think it's easy to get this notion in our heads. Society tells you like the way that we prize marriages that last for so many years and things like that, that the measure of a successful relationship is its length. And Mm -hmm. in fact, that's not true. The measure of a successful relationship is what it's able to do for the people involved in that relationship. And 
I, I have friends who've been in that position and have seen, you know, coming to a really mature parting where mm-hmm. they recognize that they love each other and they always will. And, but there's still this sense of we've done everything we can do for each other at this yeah. point and we need yeah. to move forward. And there's something like just really lovely and beautiful about that and sort of normalizing that type of breakup. I agree. But okay, I want to talk about um the title of the book and mm-hmm. you know what that means for the characters. We see we in the book and in the show Marianne says that she thinks there's something inherently wrong with her and bad about her and mm-hmm. she just wishes the title comes from a sentence that she says which which is she wishes she could be like normal people. Why can't I be like normal yeah. people? And I mean, part of that feels relatable to me, you know, being so inside your head and worried about how you come across to others and, you know, the things that you've had to endure in your life shaping you in a way that other people perceive as negative. But then it also felt like very dramatic, young Mm -hmm. person, emotional, like, why can't I just be normal? It's like, in fact, you are the most normal person because you're a human and everyone goes through different things like that. Right. I mean, it's such a fallacy, right? I think we've all had that thought of, like, I don't feel normal or I wish I could be normal, but normal doesn't really exist. I think as a society, people try to define what that means through success or you know, relationships or whatnot, but no one's normal isn't a thing. It's just everyone is existing in life and living their life with emotion and and trials and happiness. And it's all just one big, complicated, beautiful mess. And so Mm. for someone to think they have to be boxed up into this definition of normal is such a disservice to just the human experience, you know? Mm. There is no normal. It's it's all normal is circumstantial. Yeah, too. absolutely. You know, what, what feels normal in the town they grow up in is is a guy like Connell. And then what's normal mm-hmm. in Dublin is someone like Marianne who fits in with such ease in the environment. So, yeah, right. I completely agree with, with what you said and I think that's a great way to sum it up. And um, don't you think that especially as a high schooler, I mean, just think back to that experience. Like, all you want is to fit in and to be normal. At least that's what I wanted. And then I've related so much with Marianne Mm -hmm. because she really blossomed in college because she found people who she could relate to. And I think that's so often the story, right? Is you go through high school, you're kind of you're kind of defined by your journey or your upbringing and everyone kind of knows everything about each other for the most part. And then you leave for college and you have this chance to almost, it's a clean slate. And I think all of us, it's not like we're destined to be some person. I think we all develop who we become through life experiences. It's it's not like you're set to be this person at the age of 30. It's you become that person through everything that you have gone through. Um, and right. so to see Marianne find that group and to feel quote unquote, maybe normal or more normal, it's, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. And a lot of people find comfort in knowing that they can relate to other people. That's all we want in life, right? right? Is And it's growing up. Yeah, it's growing up, right? 
just yeah figuring out that the problems you have are not are universal you know mm-hmm. that that people have gone through similar things to you and come out the other side and well that's that's what we see happen to both of them and i think it's a really beautiful thing in the end but yeah i want to ask you about I want to talk about kind of storytelling as a whole. And so this was a quote from the book from Connell's perspective. And he says about his English classes, he says, it was culture as class performance. Literature fetishized for its ability to take educated people on false emotional journeys. All books were ultimately marketed as status symbols, and all writers participated to some degree in this marketing. Presumably, this was how the industry made money. Literature, in the way it appeared at these public readings, had no potential as a form of resistance to anything. Yeah, so interesting. (laughs) I mean, I think for starters, Connell Connell is a very authentic person, and he comes from humble background. And to see him go through college and to kind of witness this – faux intellectualism, right? And just kind of speaking for the sake of sounding smart, I think is what Mm. he was witnessing in college in particular. And kind of the differentiating factor between his friends and Marianne's friends is that I think at one point he he talked about people in college and said, they don't read, they don't know what they're talking about. They just say things confidently and people agree with them. Mm. And I'm sure we've experienced it several times. I've experienced that too. It's it's this sense of falsehood and just perception of wanting to sound like you know what you're talking about and they may not know at all. They just want to give off that image of being an intellectual, of, of being smart and to, like you, like the quote says, fetishize literature. That's It's so accurate to so many people, I think. But Completely. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, it kind of – it's it feels like a really self-aware moment in the book, right? Where it's sort of Sally Rooney is really calling out the readers and herself in participating in this this ability as the quote says to take educated people on false emotional journeys, which mm-hmm. is so interesting to me because right, that's what books do. That's what this TV show does. And yeah. some of the criticism is that the show has been emotionally manipulative, but mm-hmm. I don't think <clears throat> I don't think personally that just because you know you're taken on this journey doesn't mean that it isn't real. I think you know I, I, just because something isn't organic and it has to be kind of conjured up in the form of reading a book or watching a TV show doesn't mean it's less valuable in mm-hmm. my opinion. But I think it's interesting that that Sally Rooney is sort of making the readers think about, well, what is the purpose of reading your book then? And then what's the purpose of watching the show? And then what are you and I do talking about it to right. this level <laughs> yeah. where it could be said that we're those people sort of navel-gazing, mm-hmm. yeah, just wanting to talk about something because it moved us. But Right. It's very true. I think we also need to appreciate storytelling for just kind of face value, right? I mean, we're all trying to relate to something or to feel something. And so when something moves you so profoundly, it's good to self-reflect and to consider all angles, which, 
small plug, high overanalyzing podcast. This is, <laughs> you know, this is really, uh, this is really such a vehicle to step outside of your perspective for a minute to open a dialogue and to try and see really the meaning of this. Um, but I also think it's okay to get swept up in storytelling every now and then. I mean, it's okay to to play into that escapism if if that's what you're looking for. Um, and and right. be okay with just and taking it for face value. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm curious, though, as to your thoughts about, you know, what what it says that we liked this show and that mm-hmm. I liked this book. And I'm sure if you if you read it, you would like it too. Because mm-hmm. Sally Rooney, she is a really – she's 29 and she's been hailed as the greatest millennial author. Like she is getting wow. – she is getting incredible acclaim for this book and her first book, Conversations with Friends. And it's really interesting because – her work in and of itself has become a kind of status symbol that, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in especially more urban areas like New York or something, if you're walking around carrying a Sally Rooney novel, you immediately look hip. Right. You know? Interesting. And yeah. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to me that I think when she was writing this, she obviously couldn't have guessed the the big success it would become. And she writes that line, mm-hmm. all books were ultimately marketed as status symbols. Mm, and yeah. that is to some degree what this story has become. It's become a symbol of, you know, contemporary culture and mm-hmm. being in the know and sort of like fun literature, but that's also seen with a degree of seriousness, which a lot of, you know, I hate this term, but like chiclet isn't seen that way. But this mm-hmm. kind of is that weird gray area where it's it's getting, you know, incredible critical acclaim yeah, and being really praised. But then it also has a lot of criticism for the type of people who are attracted to it. And I don't know. It's just mm-hmm. – I don't think I even have an answer for it. But it has made me question, interestingly, like – why was I such a sucker for this show and this book? Yeah. Like the book was not, I will tell you this, I really enjoyed the book. I raced through it, but it was not particularly memorable. I can't say that I really that anything really stuck with me from the story mm-hmm. after I read it. Like I was immersed in it while it was there and then I put it yeah. down and it didn't like it didn't haunt me for days. It didn't it didn't compel me to recommend it to other people. In fact, I kind of forgot about it until I saw that Hulu was releasing the TV adaptation. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that story. And maybe why I enjoyed this show so much was that I had forgotten some of the more nuanced elements of the book. But Mm -hmm. it's sort of, I don't know, it's just interesting to me to think, like, why were we, why did that hook us so much? Like, they got us, you know, they did it. Like, we were we're sold. Right. I think. It's maybe a generational thing because I can't imagine my parents watching this show and having the same reaction Not that at all. we did. My, you know? I think my mom would be horrified by yeah. the amount of sex and the length of those scenes. <laughs> right. And and not only that, but also just like 
the frustration around something that can be so simple is turned into this convoluted melancholy journey, you know, Mm. and I think maybe it's just our generation who can relate to that. It feels like a very millennial story. Um, I also think it feels there's a lot of privilege in the story. And the fact that we're watching these two people go through life together, and all we see is the pain and damage that they kind of inflict on each other and observe throughout life. And you're so locked into it. And I think it's exactly that. It's you're locked into it for the duration of the time that you read the book or that you watch the show, and then you might have a good cry after and then it's done. And it's almost it's almost just like a short therapy session. And then you you go on with your life. It's not to the degree right. of like we were talking, it's not like a movie like Parasite, where I was quite literally, I couldn't sleep that night, because it was just so overwhelming to think about all of those themes and all of the all of the societal undertones in there. And I don't think that this this show in particular is speaking to that. It's more so just a relation. It's it's an, a, a complicated study of love. So, mm. and love in and love in this generation. Like I said, I just don't think maybe our parents would relate to it as we did. Um, right. That's yeah. I I completely agree with you. I think that's a really. I love how you said that. A study of love, like a study of love marred by young teenage insecurity and right. marred by tra- a traumatic childhood and yeah. A study of lust too, where so right. much of a connection is fueled by physical attraction. Yeah, and yeah, and I think to me, I I like so many different types of art and books, and you know, and and I don't always like them forever, but they serve a purpose at the moment in time that I consume them or engage with mm-hmm. them. And I don't know. I think that there's a lot of merit in talking about the merit of a piece of art and what it's saying and and who it's intended for and you know how it relates to the world at large but then i also think some things are just meant to as the quote says take you on a false emotional journey and yeah. make you feel a certain type of way and i don't see anything wrong with that like i know a lot of people don't like this is us because they think like it's so emotionally manipulative and like mm-hmm. and and I'm some I, sometimes I'm like what's wrong with that if you're like, right. will, willingly consenting to that like I'm all for being like yeah please um, manipulate me because today I need a good cry right yeah. and like what better way to do it than enjoying a story yeah. that's so captivating like I don't know it's but it's interesting to think about yeah and I think there's no it's like you said it's perfectly fine to give into that. And it's perfectly fine to get swept up into a story. I mean, that's why there's days that you feel like watching a cheesy rom-com because you want to feel that way. And there's days that you feel like watching, you know, a comedy because you want to feel that way. So I think we elect into whatever emotion we want to feel in that moment. And that's perfectly fine. That's almost the point of entertainment is that you're able to get swept up into these stories. And I think, like you said, as long as you're willing and consenting to that and you realize that this, there is some emotional manipulation here and that this isn't a, this isn't a factual, true story, it's okay to get swept up in, in the romance of it and, 
to feel those warm, fuzzy feelings when you're watching two people fall in and out of love. Right. Completely. Amazingly well said. Oh, thank you. You too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel like we could talk about this for ages, but... We really could. And I mean, we just hit the tip of the iceberg with all of the sex talk, and Mm, obviously, I don't think... (laughs) The sex is almost worthy of its own separate episode. Yes. And it's... I will just say, I very much appreciated how balanced the sex scenes were between being what I thought was romantic and a lot Mm -hmm. of, like, intense care and love. And then when Connell, like, said the thing about – I mean, he basically just asked for her consent the first time they had sex. And he was like, it's okay to change your mind. I know. I was like, like, hello, come take me now. Like, I clapped at the television. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, okay, I'm done. I was like, this needs to be an example to every type of person, you know – about how it should be but um yeah. yeah and i loved that they were willing to be as they were willing to show as much male nudity as yes. female because we really don't see that often and there's such an imbalance and i loved that they were just like here you go here's some <laughs> here's penis. penis yeah just straight up right for you loved that i i admit i had to like pause and rewind because you're, you're just so not used to that i think that's definitely something that the film industry has overlooked for so long is that balance or that equality between male and female nudity in a sex scene. Um, but it's – I had to pause and rewind and be like, is that actually his penis? Like, I'm <laughs> a kind of in shock. And then, and then I kind of sat there and I studied it and I was like, no, there's no way that's fake. And I'm like, but it's semi-erect. I was just, like, fascinated in every sense of the word by – <laughs> that little small dick pic, but um, I loved it. I think also just going briefly back to that Vanity Fair article on the intimacy coach, it was really fascinating to read about the role of an intimacy coach after the Me Too movement and making sure that that consent and that feeling of comfort was very visible on the set and that the characters were very much participating equally in these acts and we're comfortable with it because I think that you definitely Mm -hmm. see that in their love scenes you feel you feel like this is something they both wanted it doesn't feel fake and maybe that's a result of their incredible acting but I so appreciate the thought that went into that and the attention of a film set to to set the example for what this portrayal of sex and femininity and masculinity looks like when it's portrayed in the right light, you know? Completely, completely. That was really a beautiful thing to see and definitely, I think, contributed to the actors' chemistry on screen together and ultimately to just a better viewing experience for everyone involved. So yeah, I loved that. I loved this show. I... I'm going to probably continue to rewatch it or flip back to certain <laughs> scenes when I need when I need that yes. nostalgia of like oh my god when they played Imogen Heap oh my gosh when they can played, we talk about that where are we I can't I uh, what I I the like hell? I died I my <laughs> it's gone <laughs> The rest I, of this podcast is just Paige <sighs> and I exchanging Imogen Heap lyrics so stay tuned <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly, I mean, exactly. It was my heart broke into a million little pieces when that song uh, came on. Like that took me back to high school in a second. Yes. And I think I don't know, I was so happy that they decided to use that song. Like it's such I mean, it really does music is so powerful in that it can transport you into a time and place in your past. And that song in particular, I mean, I think we're both we both have very similar tastes and that song brings me right back to high school and brings mm. me right back to like a moody session in my bedroom where I just finished a book and I was emotional and I played Imogen Heap and just like looked at the ceiling. You know, it, it's just such a... Like what other kind of, what other song strikes that beautiful mix of melancholy but hope Ugh. and also like a little bit of electricity like there's this thrill yes. that something's about to happen it's yeah. so that song stands the test of time in my opinion it, it really does i'm such a fan i'm so glad they used it i think it's interesting that i'm reading how the soundtrack to the show has been criticized and yeah. I, I found that i Did don't know i didn't with it I mean, listen, when they did play Selena Gomez, I was kind of like, really? Like, out of all the songs you could pick, you picked this one in this moment. It just felt very poppy. But I also appreciate the fact that maybe that's an accurate representation of what the setting of that party felt like. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, trying to think of of the music producer on this show, like, it's all of these songs are so very intentional. And for the most part, most of them were really beautiful and even like covers of make me feel your love at the end of one of the episodes Mm, like mm -hmm. it just it brings you it it alters every sense and brings you into this kind of yeah melancholy moody environment and I loved it I ate it up for the most part I mean I get why people have the criticism of it but I as soon as you bring emoji heap in the in the mix like you have my heart forever completely I agree and I think Again, it's – I can understand all of the criticisms around this show, and yet, did I enjoy it? Yes. Right. Why? I don't know. Because. Like, it – obviously <laughs> – Just because. Just because. I mean, I could list a bunch of reasons, but this show is, you know, it's, it's, it's designed for the people who felt moved by it. And if you didn't, then – I don't know that that's a failing on the show's part so much as it is just indicative of the fact that maybe it was it caters to a specific group of people and mm-hmm. and that's that, you know? Not to say like it's, you know, only designed for one type of person, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh gosh, I loved it. Thank you so much for overanalyzing with me, diving so deep on all of these different topics. You're so insightful, and oh, thank you. Just, I'm so glad I could talk with you uh, about this. No, thanks for having me. What a pleasure, and um, thanks for recommending this show because here we are gushing over it. And I, we could go on for hours and hours and hours, but I do feel like such a thing to enjoy and to be able to share together. It's it's really nice to come in here and overanalyze with you. So thanks for having yeah. me. <laughs> Absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. And I would be lying if I said that me recommending the show to you wasn't part of an ulterior motive to get you <laughs> obsessed so that you could overanalyze with me. I think you just know me too well at this point, And I gladly will overanalyze anything moving forward. 
you guys want to talk about more sex and penises, I'm here for it, like, (laughs) any day of the week. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you've made it this far, we appreciate you. And uh, we will see you on the next pod. Bye. Bye, guys. Hi, guys. I have a special guest. I actually have Connell from the show who's going to be giving us a summary. So um, let me just pass it over to Connell. It's 3.33 here in Ireland. Thank you for letting me join your podcast. Um, Pretty much in summary, I date, used to date, used to shag this little mouse-looking Irish girl. And... um, I fell in love with her. We had sex every other minute. And um, I didn't understand her friends, but uh, we just fuck. That's the whole series. <laughs> uh, Jamie's a weasel. Don't like him. And uh, yeah, thank you. Back to you, Cameron. This is Connell. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that. That was cameron ariana's boyfriend doing his best impersonation as a scottish person of an irish accent so thank you cameron we love you thanks to everyone for listening we will see you on the next podcast bye